three or four people, okay? It's, it's south of Brunswick, so Pastor Mike came a good little drive tonight, and anytime you're driving on 95, it's, a, it's not a good little drive, right? It tests your patience and your sanctification and everything else. He pastors the, um, the Harbor Worship Center down there, and he's doing an awesome job. He was here with us just a few weeks ago to pour into our leadership and our, our council and our staff, and uh, we're so glad that he's with us. Just a week ago, he was in Africa, and he's posting all these pictures in, in Africa a week ago, and I'm thinking, I sure hope he remembers he's supposed to speak for us. So I sent him a, me a message, and I guess he was on the back of an elephant, and he texted me back. He said, I'll be there, man, I'll be there. So will you give Pastor Mike Sains a big welcome as he comes tonight? Amen. It's truly an honor to be back with you here in Rinkin. Uh, I told Les a moment ago, or Pastor, I said uh, I had a chance to be with your son the week after that at, at New Life with Pastor Ryan. I, I believe it's New Life, isn't it? Yeah. And um, anyway, what an honor. What a privilege. Uh, Kelly and I enjoyed our time with you guys here just a few weeks back and, of course, then the next week over there. And as he said, yeah, I have spent... Um, I was almost two weeks in Africa, 13 days, and uh, man, what an incredible journey. I was there four years ago, had the opportunity to meet a young man who um, his foster parents actually go to my church. Now, you can't imagine how big Africa is to start with. You could put the United States and Spain and Portugal and uh, like Australia and uh, China and there's so many nations that you could put in the footprint of Africa. And Jenny called me, or she messaged me. I was in uh, Zambia. And she said, uh, hey, my son is in uh, Africa. You reckon you could meet up with him? And I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty crazy. I said, well, I'm in Livingston. I'm going to fly back to Lusaka, and I'm going to be at the the Bible school for about 30 minutes, and then we're going to the airport, flying to Johannesburg, to Ethiopia, over to Togo. And I said, small, small window. She said, okay, I'm going to send him a picture of you because he's in Zambia. When I got to the Bible school, we were unloading books, and this young Zambian uh, brother come walking up to me, Pastor Saints. And lo and behold, he lived right there in Lusaka, Zambia. And uh, I met him that night. He was in Bible college. And um, I began a mentoring relationship with him four years ago this week. He launched his church three years ago. And they had about 80 people on Sunday. And I preached for him last Sunday in Africa, or Sunday before last in Africa. What an amazing thing. And what was amazing is through mentoring and coaching over Zoom, I get there and look, and there's a media team that has on media shirts. There's a praise team's all dressed alike. There's a guest central team, and I'm thinking, my man is getting it. And so, anyway, I, I told our team, I said, you watch. In the next five years, we'll be pastoring a mega church right there in Lusaka, Zambia. So let me tell you some great news about the Church of God. We have the um, Berea uh, Theological Seminary slash College, and it will be the first fully accredited college and seminary of the Church of God in the next 75 days. Are you with me? 
Amen. So uh, it's incredible. Lusaka, Zambia has become now the hub for all of the training of pastors from all over Africa. We had pastors that drove 400 miles just to be with us for the intensive two days, and then we spoke in their churches. So anyway, uh, if you ever have an opportunity to be a part of that, uh, uh, thank you so much for being a part and, and for praying for us. So um, Anyway, so if you don't know me, I'm Mike Sains. I'm the lead pastor there at the harbor. And I have Brother Darby stand with me real quick. There he is. Brother Darby Clark is a, a great member of ours there. And he told me over a year ago, he said, Pastor, if you ever have to go anywhere, you need somebody to ride a shotgun, I'm your man. And uh, I've had several instances come up, and uh, uh, anyway, I, I thought about it. Kelly couldn't come. We had a night of worship happening tonight at the harbor, and I said, hey, Darby, you want to eat? I'm your man. So uh, anyway, so I'm glad to have him uh, traveling with me um, tonight. But I've been at the harbor for 26 years. August will be 27. God has truly blessed us. Uh, we've just seen phenomenal things happen. And I know you are too. I leaned over to your pastor. I said, man, look at all these young people. I go places and I'm going to tell you, if everybody in the building's over 60 and I'm getting there quick, I'm not knocking you if you're 60. Amen. I'm loving on you. But if everybody in the building's 60 plus, you're in trouble. We got to win some young folks, and you got a house full of them. So uh, we ought to give the Lord praise for that, all right? So some of you were, was with us in our, um, our training that we did on the connection system, and so you met my wife, Kelly. We have four kids. We have 10 grandkids. Hey, I, I know I don't look old enough to have 10 grandkids, but, but, but 10 grand, grandkids is the reward God gives you for not killing your kids. <laughs> Come on, how many grandparents we got? Let me see your hand. Yeah, that's, that's my, my team right there, my tribe. So uh, I, I got 10. So anyway, I'm loving it. How many of you know that it's all right to have fun? It's all right to have fun. And when you go to church, you ought to be able to have fun. Now, I believe in serious things. We're going to be real serious here in just a moment. And, and, and I know God's going to be in the house and all that. But the Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. Isn't that right? So... Uh, so I don't know if I, I don't know if I shared this with you or not, but, uh, if, if I did, uh, just, just humor me and bear with me, but, uh, obviously this story is not true. It's about heaven, but it's not true. Any of y'all ever heard jokes about heaven when St. Peter's letting people in or not? Come on, let me see here. Well, anyway, here we go. So it was crowded in heaven. And so for one day it was decided only to accept people who had had a really, really bad day on the day they died. So St. Peter was standing at the pearly gates and he said to the first man, he said, sir, tell me how you died. The man said, oh, it was awful. I was sure that my wife was having an affair. So I came home early to catch her with him. I searched all over our apartment, but I couldn't find him anywhere. So I went out on the balcony and we live on the 25th floor. He said, and I found a man hanging over the edge by his fingertips. He said, I went inside immediately, and I got a hammer, and I came out, and I started hitting his hands, and he fell. But he fell into the bushes. And so I went back and got the refrigerator, pushed it over the balcony, and crushed him. The strain of that act gave me a heart attack, and I died. St. Peter couldn't deny that it was a pretty bad day, and since it was a crime of passion, he let him in. Obviously, this is a joke, but he let him in. 
He then asked the next man in line about the day he died. And he said, well, sir, it was awful. The second man said, I was doing aerobics on the balcony of my 26th floor apartment. I twisted my ankle, slipped over the edge, but I managed to grab hold of the balcony on the apartment below. And some maniac came out, pounding on my fingers with a hammer, and luckily, I landed in the bushes. But then the guy dropped a refrigerator on me. St. Peter chuckled, led him into heaven, and decided that he could really get used to this job. Tell me about the day you died, he said to the third man. He said, okay, picture this. I'm naked, hiding inside a refrigerator. <laughs> so, anyway. Everybody with me? All right. Anybody live on the twin? No, I'm on the <laughs> Tonight, if the Lord would help me, I want to talk with you about missed opportunities. Have you ever missed an opportunity? You knew it was a, um, a real opportunity. You missed it. How many college football fans have we got? Huh? Yeah, yeah, man. We love college football. And how many times have we heard the commentators say concerning the quarterback, oh, what would he give to have that one back? I mean, the man was wide open, nobody in the zip code. It was a simple toss, and there he was, wide open to the end zone, and he overthrew him. Missed opportunities. We think about things that, that we could have done, that we should have done, that if we could do again, we would have done, but we missed an opportunity. And sometimes they don't come back around. I think about the space shuttle back in those days when they were trying to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. There was what they called a window of opportunity. But if you miss that window, it could be bad. So in Luke chapter 10, I want to talk with us tonight about missed opportunities. But if I could lay some background, what's happening here in Luke chapter 10, there. Jesus is saying something, and it triggers the crowd to ask some questions. And so let me just begin with Luke 10 and verse 25. And matter of fact, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? I, I think that would be in order. Luke 10, 25 says, One day an expert in the religious law stood up, now I want you to get this, to test Jesus, by asking this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I, I want you to understand, the Bible said that this expert in the religious law, he stood up to test Jesus. In other words, he didn't really, really want to know the answer. He's trying to put Jesus to the test and sort of put him on the spot. You've seen people ask questions that they knew the answer to. Or whatever. But nonetheless, he says, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? And how do you read it? The man answered, Well, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, 
all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And uh, it just, um, for this guy, that wasn't enough. He said, you must love him with everything in you. And love him with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus told him, do this and you're going to live. And the man wanting to justify his actions asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? So let's pray. Father, we love you now. I honor you. I thank you for this great opportunity to stand before these great people and this wonderful church and share your word. I ask you to anoint me, Lord, uh, that you would let these words be your words. God, let me share your heart tonight. And God, when we leave here, let us be able to say it was good to be in God's house. And I don't ever want to miss an opportunity that is put before me. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, Many Jews actually believed that their neighbors were only other Jews. You might know some people like this. If you do, just don't look side, you know, to them. Just look up this way. But, but in other words, neighbors for them were people who had a common way of thinking. To put it in modern-day terms, if you are a Democrat, you have neighbors that are Democrats, or if you're a Republican, or you're an independent, or, or maybe it's football, you like the Bulldogs. And if it's not the Bulldogs, you're not part of our tribe, baby. Right? And so they had a common way of thinking that, that neighbors shared a shared value system. And they would say that a neighbor is someone of my tribe. It is people who like the things I like. It's people that do the things I do. The people that kind of look like me, that act like me, that have my hobbies, that vote like me, that dress like me, that likes the kind of things that I like. And so if you're not on our team, then you're really not even worthy of our love. In fact, you're an enemy. So the man is trying to box Jesus in, and he's asking him a great question. Who do you say my neighbor is? So when he asked Jesus, who then is my neighbor? And again, because of them, a neighbor was kind of those who look like me, act like me, talk like me. And if you remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans because the Samaritans were half-breed, if you will. And they had no dealings with them. In other words, they are from the other side of the tracks, so to speak. They are a different race of people, class of people, if you will. And so regardless that they too were made in the image of God, that didn't really matter. And so who is my neighbor? So the guy says to Jesus, who then is my neighbor? And so Jesus 
starts there and begins to tell a story. It's a story that every one of us have heard. It's a story that we think about every time we drive down the road and we see someone with a sign that's asking for help. And maybe they say, I'm homeless or I'm a veteran or uh, I'm unemployed or whatever it is. And, And I get it. The more in the city you are, the more you're going to see that. And I understand there's panhandlers that make more money doing that than you do on your legitimate 40 and 48-hour-a-week job. I get it. There's people out there that's making money begging. That does not excuse us completely. We cannot, you know, anesthetize ourselves or numb ourselves and say, well, we write off everybody that's holding up a sign because they're, you know, they got a lot of money. They're just trying to, to scheme people. And, and, and then how do we determine who and all of that? Because I've driven by some, don't get me wrong. It was just a few months back, I was coming out of Walmart and I saw a man there and I don't remember what the sign said, but as I I drove right on past him and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, turn around and give him a certain amount of money. So I turned right back around and Kelly said, where are you going? I said, I'm going back through the Walmart parking lot. We just came out of the Walmart parking lot. I said, I know, but I got to stop by and give this guy some money and uh, I, I just come right back by there said, God bless you, love you, and handed him the money. He's excited. So how do I, I don't know. I just felt impressed. I've driven, and I don't always feel impressed. But I don't want to miss an opportunity. But, but, but Jesus begins to tell this story, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And when Jesus, uh, when he was asked, who is my neighbor? He decides like he did so many times to answer the question with a question. In fact, in this time, he answers the question with a story and then follows it up with a question. And I just want to unpack it, if I may, tonight. First of all, in Luke 10 and 30, so in reply, Jesus said, and he begins to tell the story, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Anybody ever been over there? I was there in 1995 and actually done this winding road. From Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So the way Jesus said this is very interesting because we don't know who the man was. Uh, We don't know where the man is from. We don't know his nationality. All we know is that he's a man that's headed from Jerusalem down to Jericho and that he fell among some bandits and they beat him within an inch of his life and we don't know who he is. Jerusalem sits about 2,400 feet above the Mediterranean Sea And Jericho is about 850 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. And the journey is a 17-mile, wavy, curvy, spiraling, long, winding road, the bends and the curves. And it descends 3,400 feet from Jerusalem down here to Jericho. And 
the man's walking down this road and he finds himself being mugged. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a city or if you've ever been in a situation where you felt real uncomfortable. Maybe you're here and you have actually been mugged. I don't know. But this is what's happened to the man. He fell among thieves. Scholars tell us that this winding, wavy, curvy, 17-mile stretch was the most dangerous of roads. In fact, they called it the bloody pass. In the ancient Near East, that's what it was known as. These robbers see the man. They beat the man to a pulp. They strip him of his clothes and leave him to die. In this era, there was two ways that you could recognize a person. Now, I've done a lot of mission work in Central America, and you can recognize the area that you're in by the skirts that the women wear. If you're in San Marco, there'll be a certain pattern, certain colors, and you realize we're in San Marco. If you go to San Pedro, there's a different color, same kind of skirt and all that, but the pattern and the colors, and you know you're there. If you go to San Antonio uh, or, or uh, you know, wherever you go, Las Manzanas, they all have tribal colors. And so in this day, you could know where someone was from, number one, by what they wore. However, this man didn't have nothing on. They had taken all of his clothes and left him naked. So he had no clothes, so we have no indication as to where he was from. And so, you know, we don't know if he's from Rome or from Palestine, from Israel, from Nazareth, or whatever. We just have no idea. And the second way you could tell in these days where someone was from was their accent. Now, in 1985, I arrived in San Antonio, Texas for boot camp, and the first words out of my mouth after I spoke, the drill sergeant said, what part of Georgia are you from, boy? Because my deep southern accent sort of gave it away. You know, it's kind of, like, for instance, you know, we talk to northern people from Boston, you know, and the cockies and, you know, all this. And so we don't know if they're saying khakis or cockies or whatever. I don't know. But nonetheless, it gives it away that they are not from around here. Huh? And so, but he had no clothes on, so we don't know where he's from. He's nearly dead, so he can't talk. We don't have an accent. We don't have a clue who he is or where he's from. And I believe what God is saying is it doesn't matter where he's from. It doesn't matter who he is. It doesn't matter what color. I love the fact that you guys are just about to love on your city because God said just love on them because they are created in the Imago Dei. That is in the image of God. They have two eyes and two ears and a nose and a mouth, and I created them, so love them like they are. All we know is he's laying there, beat, bleeding, and about to die. 
We don't know who he is. We don't know where he's from. We don't know if he's a Roman or a Jew, a friend or an enemy. We have no idea. All we know is time is running out for him. And at this point, Jesus is setting up the story of the Good Samaritan to come in and to help. But before he does that, he begins to focus on two people. He focuses on two people who both missed an opportunity to be a part of something that would bring a sense of fulfillment and purpose. And the sad part where both people were of the hierarchy of the church. Notice what he says in verse 31. Actually, for the sake of conversation today, let's just talk about these two guys and the missed opportunity. In Luke 10 and 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man this nameless, no clothes, no accent, we don't know. But he sees him in the road, and the Bible said he passed by on the other side. So a priest would have been part of the upper class in that day. Scholars believe that most of the priests lived in the city uh, of Jericho, and priests would work alongside the Levites for a two-week cycle along with lay people for two weeks in the temple, two weeks on, two weeks off. We got any firemen in the house, you kind of understand the shift work where you work so many days on, so many days off. And that's kind of what, it was a two-week cycle, go, you know, uh, to Jerusalem, and you work your two weeks, and then you go back home. And another shift comes, and, and so on. that's the way it was. And so, Here's the priest, an upperclassman, most likely riding a horse. He's probably tired from a two-week shift at the temple, and he's headed home. And there's nothing wrong with that. And the priest sees the man, and he just keeps on going. So why would he do that? Well, I can think of four reasons why we miss opportunities. And I'd like to share those four reasons with you tonight that, that we miss opportunities, number one, because we're too busy. Amen? We miss opportunities because we're too busy. People talk about me all the time. I walk fast. They say, I don't know how in the world your wife with them little short legs she's got keeps up with you. Huh? And, and, and I'm always in a hurry, and I have to tell myself. I know John Maxwell says, walk slowly among the crowd. I constantly tell our staff on Sunday, we don't need to congregate among ourselves in the offices on Sunday. We need to mix and mingle among the people because we can talk any day. And, and, uh, but, but we're too busy, and we miss opportunities. But you see, the priest had a job to do. He's traveling down the road for a reason. It's been two weeks. I'm ready to get home. I'm ready to light the grill. I'm ready to do whatever it is I'm going to do. So he's got somewhere to be. He's got people to see. He's too busy with his job of helping people that he can't see somebody hurting right at the end of his nose. And I'm afraid we have sometimes, even in the church, been so busy doing ministry that we failed to do ministry. I'm not indicting you. I'm speaking as a pastor myself. 
But often it's not that we don't have time to do it. It's that we just don't make time to do it. Here's what I have learned. Everybody has 24 hours in the day. You do what you want to do. Everybody does. Ladies, if you want to go get your fingernails done, the mani-pedi, you go. Now, I mean, there might be a hardship or whatever, but you're going to go tomorrow. You're going to make sure it's going to happen before Sunday, baby. We got to get them right. Y'all with me? Huh? And, and so, uh, brothers, if you want to go fishing, the weather might be inclement on Friday or something, but you're going to get it done. You're going to be on the, the lake before too long or, or the river, wherever it is, you, because we typically do what we want to do. We, we do what we want to do. And so we, you know, we make time. And sometimes we just say, well, I can't do that when we should say, I'm just not. <laughs> because all you'd have to do is change your mind and you could do it anyway. I'm not here to meddle. So I'm going. So your schedule, let me just say this. Your schedule does not show how much time you have for someone. It shows how much you care for someone. Mm, 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 mm. The most valuable source that you have is your time, not your money, because you can make more money, but you can't make more time. You see, but for the priest, it's more than just his time. For him, it's the Torah, it's the law. Are you with me? In other words, if I slow down, if I look over there, if I go over there, and happen to touch him, especially if he's dead, I have now become unclean. I've got to go all the way back to Jerusalem. I've got to go to the temple. I've got to quarantine for a period of time. I've got to wash a certain way. I've got to do all this. It's going to be another day or two before I can get home. I just, I'm just too busy. I ain't going to stop. I'm not, I'm just not. So for him, it's not about loving your neighbor. It's about being holy. Because if, if he gets off of his horse and becomes ceremonially unclean, he's got to go back to the temple and all of that stuff. And, you know, all, so, so he made a decision, and he had to. Is this person worth stopping for? And for him, no. Uh, are they going to mock me? Uh, you know, is this person worth me having to go back to Jerusalem? Is it worth me being late for my family? And another reason we miss opportunities is not just because we're too busy, but it could get complicated. If we get involved, it could get complicated. Let me help you. If we help this person this month, are they going to ask again next month? Huh? Right? We, we do it all the time. I mean, it, it's an everyday occurrence. It happened today. Uh, yesterday, we carried someone to uh, drug rehab. It was only last Friday we had made the appointment, made the promise the people were bringing this person. Of course, the person backed out. And then they call back and say, well, I've made up my mind. I'm going to try to do it. I, I, I can't kick it on my own, et cetera. And I can't tell you the times that we've gone, spent, $1,000 to try to put someone into a rehab center only for them to leave within 48 hours. But we keep going back because it's an opportunity. At some point, one of them's going to make it. And even though that money, amen, 
it'll help someone else is what I'm saying. So, so, so but when, when we engage in broken people, it can get messy. It takes us out of our comfortable life. You have to ask yourself if the person in front of you is worth getting messy for. So the priest asked, is, is this person worth it? And in his mind, he says, no. And he went on to the other side. It wasn't worth it for him. Now, to me, that's sad because these are the two highest guys in the church. I'll go on. So the priest missed an opportunity. He did not stop to help. But then there's another character coming. And the second character we meet in Jesus' story is the Levite in Luke 10 and 32. Here's what he said. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. So... Who were the Levites? Well, the Levites were in charge of the worship services at the temple. They handled the security. They took care of the grounds. They also had a two-week rotation, two weeks on, two weeks off. He, they were not as um, uh, taken care of, so to speak, as the priests. And so more than likely, he wasn't on a horse. He was most likely on foot. But um, he didn't have the resources. But most likely, he's walking. He arrives at the place where the hurt man is lying and dying. And more than likely, he went a little bit closer because the consequences for him being defiled were not quite as strict as, uh, as for the priest. But he looked this way and that way and just decided to walk on. So there's two possibilities, maybe. He may be afraid that the thieves and the, the bandits are hiding out and just waiting for someone to come and help, and then they would ambush him. That is a real possibility. Sometimes it happened. And maybe he's thinking along those lines. Historians tell us that one of the most dangerous stretches of the road is this thing called Bloody Pass. And so if he stops to help, would someone take advantage of him while he was rendering aid? Then there is another possibility, and it's the third reason uh, that we miss opportunities. The next possibility is that we're afraid to take the risk. We're afraid to take the We miss opportunities. I'll, I'll tell you something, and I'll jump back to this story. I was struggling 10 years ago, and my struggle was this. We were debt-free. We were running about 220 people at the old church, and we did not have any debt, and that was really rare because it took a long time to get rid of that debt. I had to pay back about $80,000 that I didn't borrow that squandered, and that's just what it is. But we had to pay it back. So we work, and we pay it all back. And, and then I embark upon building a $2 million church. And my wife said to me, honey, I was 45 at the time, and she says, do we really want to spend the last third of our life trying to pay back a, a debt for a church because if people get mad, they're just going to find another church. And that's the, that's the absolute truth. I mean, I mean, it is. And I know it ain't none of y'all, but it happens like that in Kingsland. Y'all with me? I mean, they just, if people get aggravated or, you know, and, and, and I'm not a men pleaser anyway, so I just preach and let the chips fly, and if they have to go, they have to go. But Kelly says, do you really want to spend the last leg of our life paying for this? And, 
And I called a couple of pastors, and I called some old men, and guys tell me, and, and I had one guy tell me this. He said, Pastor, the scariest thing in life for me would be to turn 75 or 80 years old and look back with regret and say to yourself, what if I had done what God put in my heart to do? You know, if, I, if I'm 80 years old and I look back, I've missed an opportunity that I can't go back and get. And I'll never forget saying to my wife with reckless abandon, and I said to my staff, if I get a job and go to work in the secular world, we are going to build the harbor. So help me, God. And God has honored that. But it was risky. And it was scary. I'm telling you it was scary. Matter of fact, my overseer forbid me to even say the word scary. He said, next time I hear that, it's going to be bad for you. I want you to say it's exciting. That was Ray Garner. <laughs> anyway, so, so, so the, we miss opportunities because we're too busy, and then we miss opportunities because it might get complicated, and then thirdly, we miss opportunities because we are afraid of taking the risk. See, the right thing to do is often the hardest thing to do. What is, what is this person going to expect from me if I keep... Yeah, and just because we're thinking those things, it does not excuse us from being the hand of the Lord and the feet of the Lord and the embrace of the Lord just because we're worried about how it's going to work next week or next month. I love what my brother said as he was giving the uh, exhortation Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Wow. Oh, so, um, so for the Levite, it wasn't worth the risk. But there's something else going on. The Levite knows the priest is on the road ahead of him. He's just worked a two-week cycle with him. He knows the priest has already gone by that way. And maybe he's thinking, well, if the boss didn't stop... Why should I? If he felt like it was okay to overlook him and just go on, and surely, surely, I mean, he wasn't that far ahead of me. So here's what I want to tell you sometime. If we're not careful, our, our decision will affect other people, and they won't do something based on why we didn't. So just food for thought. So it was customary before starting out on a barren road like this to ask or to, to talk with someone else and let them know that you're on the road because it could be your life. You see, the Levite could be thinking if the priest says it's okay, and I mean, at least because he didn't stop and help him, maybe, maybe I got a loophole. Maybe it's cool for me and I'll just go on about my business. And so... We miss opportunities because we're too busy. I'm here, and I'm there, and, and, and I got this to do. And it might get complicated, and it might be risky. And fourthly, we miss opportunities because we think somebody else will do it. Somebody else will build a Bible school in Zambia. Somebody else will go and be the missionary to Ecuador or to Nicaragua. Somebody else will, will, will give in the offering. I don't need to give. Somebody else will rebuild a tabernacle. Somebody will do this. Somebody will do that. So isn't it somebody else's job? I'm not qualified to do that. We all do that. We've all said that. 
We wait for someone else to make a move. We use uh, the behavior of others and say, well, if they did not do this, why should I? If everyone expects someone else to help, help ain't coming, baby. Here's the story of everybody, somebody, anybody, nobody. Everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it, and somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job, and everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. The story might be a little bit confusing, but the message is clear. Nobody took responsibility to make it happen. And here we see a Levite and a priest that have both missed the opportunity. If I step back and think about it, I don't like to admit it, but I kind of relate to them more than I like to admit. Anytime you see a person in need, there is an opportunity to help. We all have opportunities to help people in need. You know, God places people in our paths, and by doing so, he gives us an opportunity to be a part of what he's trying to do. But instead of helping, sometimes we just keep walking it's easy to do because we're busy people I've got a lot on my plate it's not like my donkey is tied underneath a tree you know and I'm basking in the shade drinking tea and you know me and my donkey have got a pretty slam schedule and I could say that as busy as I am and I'm in Africa and then yesterday I was in Tifton and then I have to be somewhere tomorrow at the National Prayer Day of Prayer and this and that and the other and I'm busy and I could excuse myself, say it's for somebody else. And, I, and we've got people in place and we've got ministries and arms of the church, but that doesn't totally excuse me or you. So, but plus, on top of my busyness, I'll have to admit that we're all oftentimes just a little bit scared of rejection. What if we try to bless someone? What, do, what if we try this and it gets messy? What if we try this and it gets complicated? What if they start expecting things from me like friendship and they're blowing up my phone and, you know, they want to be friends on Facebook now and I'm not sure I'm ready for this kind of involvement and I think I can relate to these guys who passed by on the other side and didn't get off the donkey. If we're truthful about it, we might be more like them than we want to admit. Please don't misunderstand me. I, I, the, the point of today is not making us feel guilty. I don't want anybody to leave here thinking uh, about guilt and that you're a bad person. That's not the point. The point is that every day God gives us opportunities. You and I have the opportunity every day to bring some hope, to bring some love, to bring some comfort into a world of wounded people. It might be just a nice word. It might be just an embrace. It could be a scripture or an email or a cup of coffee or an invitation to a life group or a Bible study. I don't know, but God has an opportunity that he needs everybody, not just the pastoral staff, everybody doing something in the kingdom of God. We 
are the church. So the challenge is this, as the musicians would come and help me, to play something softly, if you would. The challenge today is to find, maybe it's just one person, one person that maybe you've passed by. And slow down long enough to see that one person. You'll never know the difference that you could make in that one person's life. God may have an opportunity for you not too far from where you're sitting. Not too far from your desk at work. Not too far from the break room that you're in. Not too far from the park that you walk in and jog and carry your dog. God may have an opportunity just right there. Maybe it's at the coffee store. Maybe it's Starbucks or Dunkin', whatever your pleasure. But maybe there's somebody right there. And God says, this is your opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. I want to, if I may, has anybody ever heard of Bill Wilson? Anybody? One or two people? I want to read in his own words his story. My mother and I were walking down the street on the block where I live, just north of St. Petersburg. It was near the Welcome Inn on Park Boulevard where she worked as a barmaid. We stopped and sat down on a concrete culvert that was built over a little drainage ditch. She was very quiet that day. After a few minutes, she stood up and said, I can't do this anymore. Bill, you wait here. And I did exactly what my mom said. I sat there waiting for her to return. The sun went down. She still wasn't back. For three days, I sat in the Florida sun on a concrete culvert. I didn't know where to turn. If I had known how to pray, I would have. But prayer had no place in my home. All I could do was try to be brave and choke back the tears that was filling my eyes. Bill stayed there for three days and his mom never came back. Can you imagine? A mechanic by the name of Dave Rudinus who lived nearby, noticed him sitting there, and instead of just passing by, he introduced himself and sat down. He heard Bill's story. Dave was a Christian, and Dave took Bill in and gave him a place to stay, and then he paid for him to go to summer camp. It was at camp that year that Bill Wilson heard the words that changed his life. Jesus loves you, and so do I. That summer, Bill made a commitment to follow Jesus and his life was forever changed. Never having heard the message of the gospel before, that summer camp is the first time that Bill ever heard about Jesus. 
nobody would pray with him at the altar because of how badly he looked and how bad he smelled. So all alone, he attempted his own prayer to God. And he said, God, my mother doesn't want me and the Christians don't want me. But if you want me, here I am. That was the start of his own personal relationship with Jesus and his incredible walk with God. In 1979, Bill moved to one of the poorest neighborhoods. In fact, I drove through it the night before I flew to Africa. Brooklyn, New York. And he took an old donated station wagon and he drove around picking up kids, taking them to Sunday school. And every time he picked up a kid, he'd look him in the eye and he'd say, Jesus loves you. And so do I. And later the station wagon was replaced by a bus. And since then, Bill has been beaten, stabbed, shot, robbed, hospitalized. And today, Bill Wilson heads up a ministry and we've got a few pics. There they are. There he is called Metro World Child. He still drives a bus in what is now a fleet of buses and he ministers to 20,000 kids every week. What he does has been replicated around the world in major cities all over. And I'm told that when the kids see the buses coming, the children run out to meet, uh, and, and they're greeted by a driver that says, Jesus loves you, and so do I. And if you ask Bill Wilson why he drives that bus and picks up kids that he don't even know, he will tell you, I'm not picking up kids that I don't know. I'm picking up me. I'm picking up me. So please don't think I'm asking you as you stand with me, don't think I'm asking you to be the next Bill Wilson. If that were to happen, that's great. Praise God. But I'm urging you not to miss your next opportunity. I'm urging you maybe to be like Dave Rudinus, a guy that went out of his way to help a teenager instead of just passing by. Can you imagine how good it feels to be Dave today and knowing that you helped one kid and ended up changing who knows how many kids all over the world? But I know we can all, we can all just head out of here and get in our vehicles and go on about our business and do life as usual and just keep passing right on by. I get it. I've done it more times than I want to admit. That's in the past. Today could be the day that we start doing something that makes a difference. I'm so excited about your day of loving on the city. I don't remember what you called it, but amen. We, we do what we call Love Week every, every year, two weeks before Easter. We do Love Week. And we just get hundreds of dollars of quarters and we put people in every laundromat to pay for laundry and, and if they'll let them, they'll wash it, they'll dry it, they'll stand there and talk with them and they'll help them fold it and carry it out to their car. 
Last year we won two people to Jesus folding laundry. Something else we did, we, we, we baked 120 dozen cookies and we carried to different neighborhoods, knocked on the door, introduced ourselves and gave them a card about the church and Easter and gave them a bag of cookies. And we won people to the Lord just with cookies. Won people to the church. We went to the women's shelter and, and, and painted and bought clothes and, and products and all kinds of things and just loved on people. We took a hundred meals to where we knew homeless people were. We pulled our van up there and our people walked into the homeless crowds of people and gave them food. Some people said, nobody's ever cared for me like that. Somebody said, this can't be free. It can't, can't be free. What do you mean you're giving away chicken dinners? Be blessed. You want another? You want something for later? Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. That's what he said. They said, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When would we give you clothes? And when did we go see you in prison? When you have done it unto them. You've done it unto me. Don't miss the opportunity to love on Jesus. Now, Bill didn't smell good. He didn't look good. He didn't speak the language of prayer, and he didn't know anything about that. But everybody speaks the language of love. So I started off this message by talking about our neighbors and how we can love them, and it's simple. Get to, get to know your neighbor's name. I told our church and we was preparing for Easter. I said, take the ear pods out for a moment and the buds or the beets, whatever it's you got, and just walk through your neighborhood because nothing says leave me alone like ear pods or buds or beets. Nothing says leave me alone and don't bother me. And I, there's a time for it. Get on the treadmill, do it. Get on your bike, do it. I, I don't know, but if you want to do some evangelism, you got to take that out. You just got to take it out so you can listen to their story, so you can tell them your story, whatever. Lord, that wasn't in the notes. I just, you got to develop a relationship with people. God has placed this church in this neighborhood, and he wants this influence for Christ in this community. God has placed you here in your subdivision, in your apartment complex, on your street, on this location, because you need to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, and don't miss the opportunities. I'm telling you, I, I told Pastor a moment ago, you mark my words. Well, I think he said 300 people have signed up to love on the city. You better get ready because when you love on the city, God's going to send the city. Are you with me? 
One of the things we do is, is the I-5 strategy, and that is we intercede for our city. We pray for them. We invest in our city. We give to things in the city. We love all the people of the city. We invite the city. You see, because it's one thing to invite them when there's no, no skin in the game. you got no skin. But when you've prayed for them and when you've invested in them, then you've got the right to invite them. And when they get there, you've got the right to involve them. And I'll tell you, it's absolutely going to impact them. You're going to make a difference. Let me close with this and we're going to pray. The night Jesus was betrayed, he ate the Last Supper. And after he, you know, he had told them all the things, you know, I've long desired to eat this supper and all this. I'm not going to eat anymore or drink anymore of the fruit of the vine until it's all fulfilled in the kingdom. And he had already told them tonight the shepherd's going to be smitten, the sheep's going to be scattered and, and all of that. And all of you are going to be ashamed of me. And Peter had already said, not me, if I should die with you. And he said, yes, you're going to deny me. And all those things had happened. When he get through the supper, Jesus got up and girded himself with a towel. And I want to tell you, one of the biggest problems in our church world today is people don't want a towel. They want a title. But a towel will take you where a title can't. It doesn't matter if they call me pastor. If I, if I don't have a towel, if I, if I don't see myself as a servant of God, a servant of people, to love on people, if I don't see that, I'm in trouble. We need a towel. So Jesus girded himself with a towel and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And when he finished washing the disciples' feet, he said, see, if I being your Lord and Master have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Talking about getting a little messy. Maybe a little complicated. What he's saying is, listen, we're no greater than our Lord. And if He was our Lord and our Master and He stooped down, He took off the robe of divinity and put on the robe of humanity and died a cruel death, we are no better than our Lord. So we can go the extra mile to love on the Bill Wilsons of the world. We can love them into the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you this. You're going to love on some people that are alcoholics and they smell like scotch or brandy. You're going to love on people that have got needle tracks all up and down their arms and their breath stinks and they're cracked out and they're methed out. But I'm telling you, if you show them the love of Jesus, Jesus can still set them free and change them, bring them into the house of God. They can become a pillar in the church. I've got a man in my church right now was bound by alcohol. I've got a girl in my church that sings on a praise team that testified just two, three weeks ago. She said, two years ago, I was addicted to meth and God has set me free. Six months ago, her husband was an atheist and said, there is no God. He sits on the front row now. Everybody understands the language of love. You can love them into the kingdom. So what I want to do, I just want you, if you say, Pastor, I'm not going to miss 
the opportunity. Now listen, I want you to pray for discernment because I, I totally get that we cannot do every single thing. You, you're not going to be able to do every single thing that crops up, but you're going to have to depend on the Spirit of the Lord to say, this is the one. This is the one. Go through McDonald's and get this one, the meal. This one's the one. Write him a $50 check or whatever. I don't know for you, and it's all different, but God is sovereign, and He knows. I'm just going to ask you, if you say, Pastor Mike, I, I'm not going to miss an opportunity. I'm going to ask God to help me be his hands and feet. I'm going to do what this young man said this, this afternoon or this evening. I'm going to do unto the least of these. Because when I'm doing it for this person that is crippled or, or drug addicted or an abuser and he's in prison or, or this one over here that's hurt his family and that one over there that is all of these horrible things. Jesus said, when you've done it to them, you've done it for me. So if you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I'm not going to miss an opportunity. I'm not going to miss that opportunity. I want you to just... Step out of your seat and come with me right here. Come on in Jesus' name. Can we sing something, brother? I'm not going to miss an opportunity. I'm not going to miss an opportunity. Just come, just come on in here. Man, what an incredible, incredible deal. Can I get you to just hold your hands out in front of you like this and just simply just say with me, Lord, use these hands. Use these feet. Use this mouth of mine, the breath in my lungs. I want to be your hands and your feet. I don't want to miss an opportunity. I want to show somebody the love of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not backing down. But I'm going to love somebody into the kingdom of God. Would you worship him as this praise team sings? Come on, say something with us right now. Lift your hands and love on the Lord, would you? Yes, that's where he wants Jesus us. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Shout Jesus for my family. I, I speak, speak the holy name. name Jesus. Jesus. At the name of Jesus. Oh, shout Jesus from the mountains. And Jesus, Jesus. in the in a week from Sunday, Jesus in the streets, over every enemy, shout Jesus for my family, all of my family, the lost ones, bring them home in Jesus' name, you got a lost level, lift your hand, shout Jesus from the mountains, and Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Oh, shout Jesus. Shout Jesus for my family. My family. I speak the holy name of Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. Your name is power. God, and you have the power to shine through the darkness and the shadows. God, you have the power to give us the strength and the courage to do what otherwise we would not or could not do. I pray, God, that you would give us the backbone and the courage to shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. God, I pray that you would help us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our community, Lord. That we wouldn't look over anybody. That we would say Jesus loves every single one. And God has a plan for everyone. God, I speak Jesus over this church. God, this Love on My City Day is going to be an incredible day. And Lord, it's going to touch a multitude of people, God. I believe you'll touch thousands, God. That they'll be moved by the love and the compassion of children of God that said, I love you just because God created you in his image. I love you, and Jesus loves you. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for the work they're doing. Thank you for the reach, and they are reaching people. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Amen and amen. God bless you, brother. I saw Pastor Varney Aspen Wall back there. God bless you. So good to see you, brother, and your wife. We love you, man. If I don't get a chance to see you. Will you guys give Pastor Mike a big hand? Thank you so much. Now, here's what's really cool about what he just shared with us. You think that I called him and told him what we were doing. He had no clue about Love Your City Sunday coming up in, in 10 days. No clue. Not at all. He's been in Africa, I told you. You know, I don't have a phone number to Africa. And so he he came in tonight and gave us the word that we needed to hear. Amen? And so thank you, Pastor Mike, for coming. That was an on-time word for this house, a confirmation that we are in the will of God for what God is going to do through us a week from Sunday. Amen? Amen. We love you. We'll see you back here Sunday at 9 or 11. Guys, it's Mother's Day. Don't forget. All right. Have a good rest of the week. We'll see you later. God bless you.